My name is Daniel Grothy, and I come from Colorado Springs. I've been at New Life Church there for 13 years and known Pastor Charlie for a good long while, and I am thrilled that he's getting some rest. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you take it for granted because he's just been around forever. He's a fixture. 23 years in the same place, but that is an incredible gift to have a pastor who loves God and who loves God's people and who served faithfully. And that man, Pastor Charlie, has earned his rest. So can we give it up for Pastor Charlie today? I just want to say, I, I, I'm just glad to be here today. To watch six people get baptized in this service and one person get baptized in the morning service before this is incredible. The last thing Jesus told us before he ascended was, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we just got to see a little glimpse of Jesus's command to us today. Don't look now, but the Holy Holy Spirit is among us and he's working. People being saved and delivered and healed and brought up into discipleship in Jesus. So can we give it up for these six people this morning who've given their lives over to Jesus? Over the next six weeks, uh, myself and a friend from Colorado Springs are going to be leading you through the book of Colossians. We're going to be doing a six-week series called Jesus Holds It All. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter one. It's toward the back of the book. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read Colossians 1, 3 through 11, and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. Sound good to you? Okay, good, good, good. Feel free to talk to me today now, okay? Don't be scared. Talk back at me. Colossians 1, 3 through 11, this is Paul writing, and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped what? Praying for you. And asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we trust that you're the God who speaks. You're the God who, in the very beginning, when you created the heavens and the earth, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was. And so, Lord, we come in today with all kinds of darkness. We come in today with confusion. We come in today with concern. We come in today with chaos, and we ask you to be the God who speaks into that, and you bring us up into your light. Bring us up into your maturity. Bring us up into your wholeness. Lord, we pray, have your way here among us. So we pray your kingdom come, and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said... Amen. There's just something about getting a letter. 
Have you ever gone to the mailbox recently and someone wrote you a handwritten letter and it almost stopped you in your tracks? Because we've got text messaging and email and we've got Facebook and Instagram and all this noise and overstimulation. We've got junk mail that comes to us. I mean, fully 80% of the mail that comes to us, we go straight to the trash can and throw it away, right? Because it's trash. It's junk. Amazing to get a handwritten letter in the mail. Well, think about being the Colossians. In modern day Turkey, here they were, the Colossians were a people that had been long forgotten by the world. To have lived in Colossi, Turkey, uh, 300 years before Paul wrote them this letter, they were the, the boom town. They were the region that was right on the trade route, which means commerce, business, commercial real estate, agriculture. Everything flowed through Colossi, Turkey. But then the highway shifted 15 miles to the west. The trade route moved. And almost overnight, Colossi, Turkey was a town forgotten about. It was a town whose economy tanked. And then to add insult to injury, they had a great earthquake that decimated the city. The city lie in rubble. And, and because the economy was so terrible, they didn't have the strength to rebuild it. So the world had moved on from them. And now the, the, the earthquake destroys them. And here they are, these believers in Jesus Christ. There might have been 50 of them that got this letter. New believers in Jesus Christ in a town long forgotten, and they go to the mailbox that day, and the legend, the Apostle Paul, got out stylus and parchment paper, and he scratched out a letter to them. He said, you are not forgotten. Now, this is coming from the Apostle Paul, who used to have freedom to run around the known world, and he'd go to Rome, he'd go to Corinth, he'd go to Ephesus, he'd go to Antioch, he'd go over to Jerusalem. Paul, Paul was riding the circuit in, in the Mediterranean, he was seeing churches planted, he was going and proclaiming, he was laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover, he was going out in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and it was working until they arrested him. And threw him in a dark, dank cellar in the bottom of a pit with soldiers strapped to him. Paul can go nowhere. And he's sitting in a prison in Ephesus. And his friend Epaphras writes him a letter and tells him about a small group of people in Colossae, Turkey. People are following Jesus here, Paul. And so Paul who's been forgotten by the world, Paul, who's been chained up, Paul, whose life has, has come to a great moment of difficulty, hears about these people who've been forgotten who are living in great difficulty, and the man of God writes them a letter, and he says, we always thank God when we pray for you. We thank God. Paul is saying to them, you know what? When you come to our minds, we rejoice. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. I've heard about your, uh, the way you've persevered. I've heard about the way you fought through. I've heard about the way the enemy has tried to lead you astray, but you've stayed on the path. Good job. I'm so proud of you. God is pleased. You may think the world has moved on, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus knows and I know. Well done, says the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine the encouragement? Have you ever had someone champion you? Have you ever had someone who has strength and they come alongside you and they say, I see it. I see the gift of God in you. I see how you're working. I see how you're going to school. I see how you're raising a family. I see how you're saying, good job. I'm so proud of you. And the strength that that brings to us. This is the strength that was brought to the Colossian people when they got their letter from Paul. He says, we always thank God for you and we pray for you. But why was he so proud of them? He goes on to tell us in verse 4, he was proud of them because he had heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. Everybody say faith. 
We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And we've heard of the love that you have for all God's people. Everybody say love. love. Faith and love. He said, we've heard of your faith and we've heard of your love. You're taking care of God's people. And you heard the gospel of truth. You heard the euangelion is the Greek word there, the announcement, the good news. You've heard the truest story in all of the world and you've believed it. You've had faith and you've started to love God's people. Well, the question that comes to my mind is what is the content of the gospel? What did they believe? If Paul says they believed the gospel, they heard it and they believed it, what is the content of the gospel? I want to give you sort of a 90-second to a two-minute run-through, a summary of the gospel according to the Apostle Paul. And here's, here, here's what it is. You ready? Paul the Apostle says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man born of the Virgin Mary, but a man who's fully God. God and man crashing together, heaven and earth coming together in this one Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the one who lives faithfully before the Father. He takes on the human desiring mechanism. He was led out into the wilderness and tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights as he fasted and prayed. And just like old Adam and Eve, our first parents, he was tempted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But this one, Jesus, was different than Adam and Eve. He is the second Adam and he lived faithfully and he resisted the devil and he said it is written it is written it is written and in 40 days and 40 nights he lived faithfully before the father and in so doing he took the human desiring mechanism that went bad in the garden of eden and he healed it to the deepest places making faithfulness possible he reversed the curse of rebellion and gave us the strength to be faithful human beings in God's good world Jesus Christ the man from Nazareth fully God fully man brought together healing the human condition but people didn't like it and so they wrongly convicted him and without a trial they 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 took him to the cross and they crucified him jamming a crown of thorns into his head and nails in his hands and in his feet and a spear in his side and blood and water flowed down the mountain for the healing of the nations and Jesus was surely dead and they put him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea but on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was raised up and Mary was the first to see him. And then Peter later. And then the 12. And then the 500. They saw him. And then word started spreading. And Jesus goes outside of the city. And suddenly, by the power of the Spirit, he's ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, high above all rulers and powers and authorities. And he is the name before which every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But Jesus Christ will return in power. He will return one day in power and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Paul's gospel is Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, we live in a world that it has a lot of generic God talk. Have you ever heard people attaching God's name to their cause and you look at the cause and you think, well, that does, that's not who God is. That's not, that's actually anti-scripture. Like what, you can't steal God's name like that. You can't carry God's name into emptiness or, or use his name in vain like that. Have you, am I the only one who has heard the generic God talk, right? People talking about God and they're, they're afraid to say the name of Jesus. 
I'm suspicious of people who talk about God and you never hear them talk about Jesus because the gospel according to Paul is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And theologians will say that Jesus is what God has to say. What is, what is God about? What does God say? Jesus is what God says. Look at his life. Look at his teachings. Look at how he lived. Look at how he restored the adulterous woman. Look how he called Zacchaeus out of the tree and took him to his house that day. And Zacchaeus, who was robbing people blind, begins to be transformed and he gives back up to four times everything he stole. Jesus is what God has to say or Jesus is what God looks like. The gospel is Jesus. But what I want to suggest to you is that when you fall in love with Jesus, you begin to fall in love with people. Have you ever noticed this? A lot of people, you know, you, you hear people saying, well, I love God, and you look at their life, and they're mean as a snake. <laughs> and you think, well, how does that add up? Because if you love God, you'll love other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those two have to be married together. When you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with people. About six years ago, our senior pastor at New Life, Pastor Brady Boyd, uh, he went and, and met with the mayor of Colorado Springs. And he said, uh, tell us about the city that we live in. Tell us what we don't know about Colorado Springs. Like, what are we missing? What's flying below the radar that you want us to know about as the church? And the mayor said, well, we just got a report back that there are over 800 single moms and their kids sleeping in their cars at night in parks all over our city. And they show up at 10 or 11 o'clock at night under the cover of darkness. Why? Because if the city or the state find out that they're sleeping in their cars with their kids, they'll take their kids away from them. So what would you do? You're going to hide. You're going to keep your kids. You're going to take care. These are the working poor, people who have jobs, who are doing their very best, but they just can't get over the hump. And, and the mayor told us that there's no transitional housing in Colorado Springs. We need more of it. And so our pastor and our elders went to prayer. And they said, Jesus, we, we've heard of this need. What do you want us to do about it? Well, pretty soon the Lord put in front of our eyes this old, run-down, dilapidated apartment complex in the most economically depressed portion of Colorado Springs. And it was an old crack house, and it was filled with asbestos. They might as well have condemned the place and run it over with a backhoe. Uh, but, but the Lord put it in our, in our vision. And so we went to the church. We went to prayer. And we said, you know what? We feel like the Lord is calling us to buy this apartment complex for cash and to renovate it and to fill it up with single moms and their kids. So we told that to the church, and we said, we want you to help us. We, we're not going to take out a loan for this. We want to do this cash, and we feel like the Lord's in it. And you know what the church gave? And we bought the thing, and we renovated it beautifully. It is the most wonderful place. And these moms who have been running from abusive boyfriends, who've been in domestic violence situations, many of them have had uh, people trafficking, trafficking drugs around them. Their kids have been at, they haven't had a safe place to live in years. And these moms, I'm happy to report to you tonight that all 17 units are completely filled with moms and their kids. And we're building 10 more units right now. God is, God is doing something beautiful in the city. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, you will fall in love with People. The one who stretched out his arms on the cross teaches us to stretch out our arms to receive people we, we didn't know before. The one who is the selfless one who pours himself out teaches us to be selfless, teaches us to pour ourselves out. And I want you to know, fellowship, that I have heard of your faith. 
And I have heard of your love. I want you to know your reputation goes far beyond Pueblo. That in Colorado Springs, Pastor Brady and I and so many others have heard of the years of service and the way you fed the poor and the way you've clothed the naked and the way you visited the prisoners and the way you've gone on global missions to tell the world about Jesus and the way you've carried a faithful presence right here in Pueblo for so long. I want to commend you today. I've heard of your love and I've heard of your faith. Well done, good and faithful servants. When you fall in love with Jesus, you fall in love with people. But Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians to let them know that they're in the fight of their lives. He starts with encouragement. Well done. I've heard of your faith. Keep going. I'm so proud of you. But he also warns them because that's what a good parent does. A good parent encourages, but a good parent also warns. And Paul says, you're in the fight of your lives. I want you to be mature. I want you to be rooted. I want you to be able to stand. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to know that the enemy's trying to topple your lives. And I want you to make it. And Paul knows to, that the only way we'll make it is if we live lives of deep prayer. Live lives of deep prayer. And so Paul, three times in this chapter, says to them, I'm praying for you. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 9, he goes on to say, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Every time you come to our minds, every time we wake up in the morning, we call your name out before the Father. We have not stopped praying for you. Verse 10, he goes on to say, So that you may live a life worthy. We continually pray for you so that you may live a life worthy. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. Any of you have elementary school children? Elementary school? Yeah. Okay, that's me. My three kids, Lillian, Wilson, and Wakely, 11, 9, and 6. And you know, uh, once a year, you're going to have your kids bring home that packet, right? It's going to be picture day next week, mom and dad. And so they told us to bring this to you, and we really want pictures, so can you please buy these pictures? And, and so I look down at the paper, and I realize it's going to cost me about $9,000 to buy these pictures, <laughs> right? You know? I got to go get a home equity line of credit to buy my kids school pictures. But they're so cute and their little teeth are janky right now. You know, Wilson's got her good teeth. And, and it's just, you just want to capture the moment in time, right? So you buy the pictures. And you get the big eight and a half by 11 and you frame it. But I also always get the wallet sized ones. Why? Because I want to be able to take them with me. And so I don't carry a wallet, but what I do is I take those three wallet-sized pictures and I put them up beneath, uh, right underneath my garage door opener on my visor, right? So when I'm driving there, their beautiful faces are. I get to the stoplight and I take those three pictures down and you know what I do? I hold those pictures and there's Lillian with her blonde curly hair looking just like her mom, cute as a button. And I say, Lord Jesus Christ, would you bless Lillian? Would you keep her? Would you cause your face to shine on her? Lord, I pray that all the days of Lillian's life, she would hear your voice and the voice of the stranger she would not follow. I pray you'd send your angels to surround her and to guard her and to keep her safe in all her ways. Psalm 91, would you cause them to lift her up in their hands so that she will not dash her foot against a stone? Lord, bless my Lillian, bless my Lillian, bless my Lillian. I keep driving. Get to the next stoplight. Pull the, the, there's Wilson. 
Lord, thank you for Wilson. He's a little soccer stud, and he goes really hard, and he's never met a stranger, and he's goofy. And I said, Lord, I thank you for Wilson. I pray you make him a man of God. I pray that he would hold up under the attack of the enemy and that he would stand. I pray that he would bear fruit. I pray, Lord, that you'd help him to serve people and to honor people. I pray, Lord, you'd bring him the right woman one day and that she would love Jesus and that they'd be a beautiful couple that raised kids in the way. Lord, protect my Wilson and make him to be a man of God. Amen. The light turns green. I keep driving. Get to the next red light and I pull out the third picture. There's my boy Wakely. He's the goofiest little kid and he's so funny, but he loves to snuggle. He's still in that stage where he crawls up in the bed and loves to get up underneath the, your neck, you know, you can't breathe. And I pray, Lord, thank you for Wakely Daniel growth. And I pray that all the day, I pray blessing, I pray blessing, I pray blessing. And I, you know, parents, the stakes are super high. Having children is, is the most joyful thing you could ever do. And it's also the scariest thing you could ever do. And so what do you do? You lift them up before the Lord and say, Father, ultimately, I'm, I'm their dad, but would you be their eternal father and lead them in the way of everlasting life? Paul writes a letter to the Colossians, much the same as those prayers that I pray for my kids. I pray that you'd be able to stand. Paul knows that a life of prayer is the only way we can make it. Prayer is the place where we begin to breathe in the breath of God, where God heals us and restores us and builds us up. Prayer is the place where we begin to hear his heartbeat and we begin to know what it is he has for us. Prayer is the place where we forgive our enemies and bless those who curse us. Prayer is the place where the Holy Spirit convicts us of our own sin and we go apologize to the people that we've offended. The place of prayer is the place that matters. I want to tell you now about my great-grandma. This is great-grandma Smith. She was, I think, 84 when this picture was taken. And she died about six months after this. Great-grandma Smith was a hard-working woman, a good woman. And she married a Greek immigrant, my great-grandfather. Uh, he came from Greece. He, when he was 12 years old, his mom took him down to the dock. And she was by, he was by himself. He had nine older siblings, and their dad had just died. And the nine older siblings, she was going to keep them there to help the family business and keep them going. But she took her youngest, can you imagine, a 12-year-old down to the boats. And she said, son, you'll have a better life in America. I love you. And she never saw him again. My 12-year-old great-grandfather, his name was Hieronymus Athanasius Asimakopoulos. <laughs> Some of you think I just prayed in the spirit. You're, hey, you're like, hey, I, wow. Uh, is that what tongues sound like? Um, Hieronymus Athanasius Asimakopoulos. And he, he got on a boat at 12 years old, and he landed at Ellis Island under the shadow of the Statue of Liberty all by himself at 13. He had never spoken a word of English. And he, he meanders up to the immigration counter, and they say, young man, what's your name? And he writes out Hieronymus Athanasius Asimakopoulos. And essentially they said, yeah, that's not going to work here. <laughs> and so he got a phone book, and that day he, he found the most common last name in the book. And that day he became Harry Smith. <laughs> Harry Smith at 13 years old started working the railroads in New York and started working his way out west and saving all of his money. He goes through West Virginia and he meets Margaret Turley and they fall in love and they get married, I think 17, 18 years old. And he said, come on, let's get on the railroad tracks and keep working west. So they're working west, saving all their money, working west, saving all their money. And they get to Idaho and they get off the train tracks and they say, this is where we stop. They took the money that they had saved up, and it's right there on the Nez Perce uh, Tribe Indian Reservation on the Snake River, and they bought 2,000 acres. I want you to see just a little glimpse of the land they bought. 
My great-grandpa Harry built that barn with his own hands and that house right behind it with the green roof with his own hands. And, and he worked so hard every day of his life. And he came in one afternoon at 67 years old. He had his cowboy hat on. I have the cowboy hat to this day. And he put his pitchfork in the ground and he was bending down to take his boots off and he had a heart attack, fell over and died right in front of his wife and kids. They prayed a prayer, thanked the Lord for him, dug a hole, put him in the ground and they moved on. Because in that generation, you, you didn't have time to stop. You just kept working. My great-grandma, Grandma Smith, lived in this canyon, this quiet canyon for the next 27 years all by herself and she sat in this chair and she read that Bible right next to that little lamp. For the next 27 years, she was either working in her garden. She never drove a car one day of her life. She never had a television. She never had a refrigerator. This woman worked the land, and she sat in this chair. And you know what she did? She read the scriptures, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. She prayed for her six children that she had. Lord, bless Louise, and bless Elaine, and bless Billy, and bless Edwin, and bless Lois. She prayed for her six kids who started having kids right and left. And so she prayed for her grandkids, and she prayed for her great-grandkids who kept coming. That would be me. And I was six months old when she died. And you know what? She spent the last 27 years sowing seeds in prayer. And what I like to think is that she prayed our family into existence. That I am riding the wave. That all of us, we just had a family reunion two weeks ago in Idaho. All 50 of us gathered together. We all love Jesus. We all love each other. And this woman prayed us into existence. No newspaper would ever show up at her house and interview her. Why? Because her life was not glamorous. Nobody in the world knew about her except her little community there. But you know who knew about her? Jesus Christ knew about her. Jesus Christ knew about her. She lived a life of prayer and she made us possible. You see, the reality is most of us will have the chance to impact a very small circle of people. God has given each of us a little flock. We live in a world that wants to glamorize life and say, you can change the world and you can do anything you ever want to do. And you can do, do, do. Actually, the reality is the, the life of the kingdom of God is we just live simply and faithfully and we serve the people, the little flock that's under our care, and we let Jesus sort the rest out. So my question to us this morning is, what flock has God placed under your care? What flock has God placed under your care? Maybe you're a school teacher, and you, you're not doing it for the money, obviously. You're doing it, why? Because teachers, teachers bless. Teachers, teachers mark the future through their students. Maybe you're working in an office with a bunch of reprobates that you absolutely don't want to be in that office. But what if it's true that Jesus is sending you in there to be a blessing and to show these people what the kingdom of God looks like and to be ready to pray for them when the bottom falls out? Because you know what happens when the bottom falls out? People start looking for people who know how to pray. Maybe you're, you're living a life of anonymity, raising small children. Maybe you're a single mom or a single dad or you're a stay-at-home parent and it's just the day in, day out, making food and cleaning up and this and that and changing diapers and the monotony. And, and you wonder if your life is ever going to mean something. I want to suggest to you, Gladys Hunt said this one time that people must be repeatedly reminded societies don't disintegrate, families do. 
What if it's true that the greatest work you will ever do is raising those little kids in the way of the Lord and pouring your life out for them? My question today is, what flock has God placed under your care? And will you give everything? Will you weep for them? Will you pray for them? Will you encourage them? Will you write them letters just like Paul did? Will you be that person of faithfulness? But here's the thing with all of this. As we come to a close, the reality is this kind of life can be exhausting at times. The devil wants to discourage us, wants to make us quit. The devil wants to taunt us and say that our lives don't matter. The devil wants us to throw in the towel, and very often it gets exhausting. And the question is, what will happen? Can we make it? Can we fight through? Am I going to be able to endure this moment? Well, I've got really good news for you this morning. There's two things I want to say to you as we close. The first is you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. I grew up in a church where my pastor always talked about the great cloud of witnesses. Have any of you ever heard of the great cloud of witnesses? Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He talked about the saints that had gone before. He talked about the apostles that had died, my pastor. And he talked about the grandstand of heaven, the balcony of heaven, where the saints who've gone before stand over looking at us and watching our lives and cheering us on saying, come on, you can do this. We're for you. Just like Paul writing the Colossians to encourage them, the saints are encouraging us. Saints, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And so we can run the race with endurance. Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, and praise him all his heavenly hosts. What I want you to know is that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. My grandpa Dan recently entered his rest. The man that I'm named after, Daniel Wilson. I'm Daniel Wilson Grothian. You know what? There's not one day that goes by where I don't feel his smile. A man of God who was 86 and married to my grandma for 66 years. A man who lived faithfully. A farmer. A man who, who blessed people everywhere he went. A peaceable and quiet life. And, and as much as I miss him, I also feel the strength of his smile. I feel the blessing. I feel the blessing of my pastor who entered into his rest seven years ago. I feel the blessing of all these people who've gone before me. When I live, I know that I'm not living alone. I'm not called to walk this thing out alone. I have the strength of the saints who've gone before me. But here's even better news for you today. Jesus is always interceding for you. Jesus, right now, don't look now, but do you know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father from the place of authority, high above all rulers and powers and authorities and dominions? And do you know what Jesus is doing? He's calling out your name. Father, strengthen Johnny. Strengthen Susie. Father, strengthen Nathan. Father, strengthen Pam. Father, strengthen Carol. Lord, I pray that you give them... Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. Now there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. He's talking about the Old Testament priests who would make sacrifice and who would slaughter the, the animals and put the blood on the altar. Those, those priests, yeah, that's fine. Great work. But they all died and they stopped. But the writer of Hebrews juxtaposes, juxtaposes those human priests with Jesus. He said, but because Jesus lives what? 
Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Saints, right now, the good news of the gospel is this is not a a do-it-yourself project. This is not something that you have to do alone. This is not something that you have to do in your own strength. Right now and every moment of every day of your life, Jesus is interceding for you. The deep intercession of Christ is is over your life. I want to suggest that every moment of your life is lived under the smile of the saints and the strength of the Savior. You are not alone. And because of that, I want you to hear this today. You are going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. As I was in prayer this week, I sensed that there'd be many people coming to church today who were exhausted, who were feeling overlooked, who were feeling forgotten, who were feeling like the Colossians, where the world just seemed to move on, and here I am left in the dust, sitting in the rubble of a life that's broken down, sitting in the rubble of anonymity. Nobody ever will know about me, and does my life matter? And Jesus comes today by the power of his spirit to tell you today, your life matters, and you're going to make it. The strength of the Savior is on your side. So would you quiet your hearts and bow your heads and close your eyes and just open up your hands like this as a sign of reception. You're ready to receive from the Lord. You're open. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Fellowship. I thank you that you're speaking to them today the affirmation of the Father. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, living to intercede for us. There is never a moment where we're alone. And so because of that, we're not going to crumble. We're not going to collapse. And I pray today for encouragement for my brothers and sisters. For those who, like Moses, when he was ready to fall, they're tired. I pray that you would send someone to lift up their arms today. For those whose knees are about to buckle, I pray that they would feel you at their back today, saying, you will not fall. The sustenance and the strength and the support of God. I pray that over my brothers and sisters today. I pray the good news over them that they are going to bear fruit, that they're going to be mature, that they're going to take root, that they're going to be able to stand because God is with you. And so I pray today, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance on you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.